I'm the author of the book, Love Limits and Lessons, A Parent's Guide to Raising Cooperative Kids. And I have over 25 years of experience working with parents and teachers with children with challenging behaviors. By listening to this Creating Cooperative Kids podcast, you'll learn techniques for getting your kids to cooperate with you. And the result will be having children who are more loving and fun to be with. These techniques are respectful to both you and your child, and when practiced over and over, you'll find yourself with more peace and calmness in your home or in your classroom if you're a teacher. On today's episode, psychotherapist Lisa Barrett and I got together to offer parents some advice who feel like their children are driving them crazy. We came up with six specific things that parents can begin practicing immediately, and if they do, they may see immediate changes in their child's behavior. Lisa is a licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist and author of the new book, Laughter, Wisdom, and Innocence, Surprising Quotes from Children. Something special you should know about Lisa is that she designed the Sandy Hook Memorial Fountain located in Portland, Connecticut, that was created in honor of the 26 souls lost in the Sandy Hook Elementary School Massacre in 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut. An interesting topic you bring up is, my kid is driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. I once taught a workshop called, Yes, Your Teen is Crazy, (laughs) to help parents understand, yes, your teenager, who used to be this wonderful baby, is now this crazy person, now inhabited by an alien uh, from outer (laughs) space, but yours is... Your kid is driving me crazy, the parent. Tell me a little bit more about why you picked out that topic. Right. It is so funny because parents always want to push the blame over on the kids. It's all the kids' fault. They're driving me crazy. They don't listen. They're oppositional. I can't get them off of electronics. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back the boat up here. So where is your responsibility in this? You are the parent. And they don't realize the power they have. They have so much power to influence their kids in such a very healthy way. In yes. a healthy way versus a negative way. One of the things that most parents don't get is to be a better parent. You need to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to tend to you. Amen. It is so important because if you are not taking care of yourself and i call it fill yourself up fill your cup up first first thing in the morning or whenever you can throughout the day then you are not able to be there in a better healthier way in a more present way 100 percent to your kids to your job to whatever needs to be taken care of i practice what i preach so i make sure i take care of me first in the morning then i can go be with all of my clients and be fully present with them. So whatever comes my way in a session, I could have five different turnaround events in a 45 minute session with a a child. I am there to respond. I got them or her, we got you covered. And look what parents are doing. Oftentimes they're yelling or they're trying to control a child or control the situation. You cannot control another human being and expect to have a positive outcome. It's so interesting. I talked about this in another podcast with you. It's like parents want to blame the kids for setting them off and pushing their buttons. You're allowing them 
you're allowing them to push your buttons. So I love, in my practice, I, I talk all the time about empowerment. When you give your power away, you are saying, people, places, things, and situations, including my kids, control my emotions. Yes. That is not accurate. Because you're not in control of your emotions, you're allowing others to control you. How do you control your emotions first? Don't preach to your kids about being dysregulated if you're not doing it yourself. Don't tell your kids to get off electronics if you're on electronics and ignoring <laughs> your kids. You really, as an adult, as a parent, need to focus on how do I change me first? If I want things in my house to change, and if I want my kids to become more socially, emotionally available, more engaged, more connected to nature, more able to self-regulate, parents, as soon as they get into a power struggle, they just, it's like putting more wood on the fire. They just keep it going. Yes. I'm going to give you an example. What you say is so important because we are living, breathing models for our children, Absolutely. teachers, through what we say and what we do. So when I was a young dad and I had three kids and I had taken a parenting class that taught me how to change my language uh -huh. in front of them. Uh -huh. And uh, one of the things that I did was instead of saying, stop that, or don't do that, I began to say, I'm not willing for you to do that. Yeah. I'm not willing for you to jump on the couch. I'm not willing for right. you to throw that, you know, that kind of thing. And it, I put it, it's all about me. I'm not willing mm -hmm. and I have the will and mm -hmm. you can't change my will. Mm -hmm. As a parent, I'm not willing for you to do that. After my kids started hearing it, they thought, oh, that's kind of weird, you know? Mm. And my kids, I think, were school age at the time when I started doing this. And then my older two were daughters, and then they I could hear them. They go, I'm not willing, right? <laughs> they started to mimic it because it sounded weird. Right. I had never done right. that before, but I did it anyway, and I yeah. did it over yeah. and over and over. One day, I'm standing at the sink, and I'm peeling potatoes or whatever. Window looks out on the back deck, and window's open. It was summertime. My son's playing, and he's, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight, something like that, playing with his toys. And this, the kid, the bully from next door, kind of a bully kid, comes up onto the deck. He doesn't know I'm watching. Mm. And he says to my son, my son's name is Billy. He's actually Billy the Fourth. He goes, Billy, I'm taking your bike for a ride. My son, without even looking at him, said, Bobby, I'm not willing for you to touch my bike. <laughs> the kid stopped dead in his yep. tracks because yep. it sounded weird. He turned around and walked out of the yard. <laughs> So the, yeah. I tell parents, you have the power to model it, yep. do it over and over, even yep. if they mock you, do yep. it, do it, do it, yep. and then your kids begin to pick up the same thing. Absolutely. And you want them to take Absolutely. these techniques into their adulthood. It's so funny. It's all about setting healthy boundaries. Yes. Right? And there's ways to do that. And so I teach really three-step super quick principle with parents. And this can apply anywhere. When you want a child to do something, you give them for lack of a better word, a directive. Here's one thing that parents don't get. With our world of distractions, almost all kids will not fully register the first directive because their brains are going. They're already engaged. And that's the same with adults. Sometimes they don't always get the first right. directive or instruction or whatever. So I always say, don't be upset if they're not listening right away because they're probably 97% of the time aren't gonna fully register it. But they're taking it in. So they take it in, so yep. it's the first step. So give a directive and then walk away to see if they respond. And then when you come back, when you restate the directive, you state it calmly, 
but then you make sure that they've actually fully integrated. So you might start off with the younger kids. Can I have your eyes and ears, please? And you make sure that they're actually listening and looking. You repeat your directive and then you ask them to repeat it back. It's called a parenting technique, parroting, right? Yep, the bird. Yep, yep, yep. Because then you know they've actually heard it, but A, also understood it. Separate realities. You can because tell a teenager to do one thing and they're hearing another thing as part of that directive. So you've got to be clear and yep. you've got to make sure that they hear it back. And then you say, and by the way, if this isn't done within the next 10 minutes or whatever the directive is, yep. your consequence will be. And you just make it very clear and simple. And then here's the power. So empowering. You decide. And you walk away. You decide whether you, you tell want the kid that whether he, your child, they have the power to you have to, decide. Okay. What would you like to do? And that's why it's really important they understand the directive and they understand the consequence. And that's why you need their attention and having them pair it back, then you know they're clear. Well, I like what you're saying. Well, I like it all, but I mean what I really like is that parents are usually just firing off directives yes. constantly. Yeah, yeah. And then they get mad when the child yeah, doesn't do anything. So the, what you said, the most important thing, in fact, what I've encouraged parents to do, especially parents of little boys, look them in the eyes, get to their eye level, because of the power in being at eye level, say, what did mommy just say? Yeah. And then they go, oh, I guess mommy's serious. I have to say this. And I think, and you probably know more than I, the magic that happens is when they repeat the words, what? The brain now realizes yeah. what... This is what I need to do. This is really... Because if you just say, go pick up your shoes, yeah. they're not going to pick up their shoes. But if you say, pick up your shoes, and you go, what did mommy just say? Mm -hmm. um, go pick up my... The power in them repeating yeah. it has now... Cemented it. Exactly. Yeah. And then the beauty of that is, once you give the child the choice... I've found, because I raised three kids and I've worked with children for almost my entire life in all kinds of settings under the worst circumstances, but I found if I give them a choice, almost always they choose to follow through with the directive. When they don't, they know that they are accepting the consequences, but the beautiful thing about that is they got nobody to blame. They mm. can't now blame mommy or the teacher or whoever for that consequence because they already knew what it was and by their lack of action or refusing to do so, they knew that this was going to be the consequence. So they can only, you know, deal with now processing that. The other part of that is with the parents, they always want to control a lot of times, which causes, okay, a lot of issue or chaos. Control, yes. Control. If they decide not to do it, the parent has got to be okay with that. And they have to follow through on the consequence. And they can't be like, oh my God, you didn't clean your bed. But it would have to be like, okay, that's your choice. And learning to honor that part of the power that you gave your child and not take it back. We want to empower our children. And in so doing, as parents, you're also empowering yourself. Because you are setting healthy boundaries. You're doing it in a very clear, direct communication coming from a soft place instead of a screaming place you're getting a better communication with your child either way it's shifting the dynamics <laughs> and if you keep that going things really will change in a more consistent way 
You know, I want to add a, a short story here because what you just said, you touched on consequences. Mm-hmm. We can need to do a whole conversation on consequences, especially with children today. There are so many children with special needs mm-hmm. on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so my granddaughter was on the spectrum. I took her to a place called Magic Wings, yes. which is up I know north. Where that is. You know yep, where that it's is. Beautiful. And there's actually a list of rules mm. in the reception area. Mm. She's just like oh, a one little girl explosion. And, <laughs> and if you don't manage, so one of the things I realized was with we have to go over the rules. And I said to her, Aurora, let's go over the rules that are. And so we read through them. And one of the most important rules there... If, don't if, touch the butterflies. And stay on the walk. Yes. They don't want you stepping off and touching the right. butterflies or the plants, right? And so I said, oh, tell Grandpa, tell me again, what is you know rule number eight? And she goes, I have to stay on the walk. And I go, yes. She actually... But I wanted mm-hmm. that. And she had to repeat that one a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Stay on the walk. What does that mean? I have to keep my feet on the... Mm-hmm on the uh, walkway, on the sidewalk, and I go, very good. And I go, you know what? We should probably have a consequence if your feet don't stay on the concrete. Because uh, I've done a lot of work with children having them help you come up with a consequence. If it's a reoccurring problem, Mm -hmm. it's sometimes appropriate to have them help you come up with a consequence. But you have the final say as the parent. A lot of parents who want to do this because exactly what happened. I said, what do you think the consequence should be if your feet leave the walkway and she goes sing me a song hmm. and i said nope. nope grandpa's not willing to accept that one uh, my turn how about the next time your feet leave the walkway we have to go home hmm. the day is over and she went no 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 grandpa and she goes oh but i won't leave my feet won't leave the walkway mm-hmm. and so what you can do with kids and i help parents Take turns coming, going back and Absolutely. forth with what the consequence will be. Absolutely. Then you both go through and cross off any that you don't like mm-hmm. and come up with what the consequence will be. And sometimes you need to use the parental power to go, you know what? Yep. I'm not willing to do these. So anyway, the consequence to that was the day was over. Yep. We're going through yeah. magic wings. Yep. And her being a really an ADHD child, she got to the point where there's a butterfly sitting right there. If she were just able to get off the walk, she could touch it, right? And she looked at me, and all of a sudden she goes, and she had this really sad look on her face, and she goes, Grandpa. And I go, what's wrong, sweetheart? We have to go home. And I go, "Uh, why do we have to go home? She goes, because I'm going to go off the walk. And she stepped off the walkway. Of course, I grabbed her before she touched the butterfly. And we walked out. I had the parents don't follow through on consequences. And I was feeling really sad. We had only been there like 45 minutes. Now we got to go home. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to stop this activity because it was so much fun there. But you have to follow through. You have to. And look at how empowered she was. She She knew. She knew. That she was going (laughs) to... And she was okay with that because... She just could not contain her joy right. about going over right. there and trying to touch that beautiful butterfly. Yep. So she already pre-knew. She did. <laughs> and we walked out to the car. She's and, holding my hand and, and she's crying the whole way. I don't want to go home. But she's but going she with me. Knew she's not was, throwing yes, herself exactly, on the ground. Exactly. We got in the car. I yep. buckled her in. And, and this all circles back to what? Setting healthy boundaries. Yes. Right? Yep. And as a parent, caregiver, Grandparents, it doesn't matter. Making sure 
back to the circle of what we talked about, right? Is that we take care of ourselves first so that we can set these healthy boundaries. So we can follow through with patience, compassion, empathy, understanding, and yet still being stern when we need to. Okay, there's a lot to unpack in this episode. So I want to break the six tips down to summarize what you heard us discuss. First of all, as Lisa revealed, the most important responsibility you have as a parent is to always take good care of yourself first. I know it's easier said than done, but you owe it to your children to make the time to recharge your batteries. I know how important it is to take care of yourself. I'll be spending more time on this huge topic in a future episode, so just know that there's more to come on this one. The second thing we mentioned was ensuring that you are modeling appropriate behavior in front of your children. If you want your children taking good care of themselves, you first have to show them what it looks like. You have to take care of you. If you want your children to speak calmly and respectfully, you have to do it first so they'll know what it looks like. If you want your children to be kind to others, you have to demonstrate it in front of them. I like to say to fathers often that little boys will grow up learning how to treat little girls by the way you're treating his mother. The third thing we brought up was in the story I shared about my son responding to the bully who wanted to take his bike for a ride. It's a technique that I used as an alternative to the word no. Now, I do believe that parents need to comfortably say no to their children, but there are other ways of saying it that are way more effective. So instead of saying the word no to my children, I would use the phrase, I'm not willing or I'm not ready. Let me tell you a little story about this whole thing. One day, my daughter was about 13 and she came to me and she said, Dad, I want you to take me to the mall. I said, well, let me look at my schedule here and see if it's something I can uh, make some time for. And she goes, no, 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 I don't want you going with me. I want to go by myself. All my other friends are going to the mall without their mom or dad, and I want to go too. I'm 13, and it's time for me to do that. Well, of course, all the things I imagined were the scary things that dads think about. So in response to that, I said, hmm, honey, you know, I'm not ready for you to go to the mall without me. She went, uh, what do you mean you're not ready? And I said, that's what I said. I'm not ready. She said, so when will you be ready? I said, I'm not sure. You just have to check back with me. The next morning was a Saturday and I came out of my bedroom and she was already waiting for me outside the door. And she said, so dad, are you ready? And I'm trying to figure out what she was talking about. I said, ready for what? She says, are you ready to take me to the mall? And I went, oh, okay, hold on just a minute. Let me think about it. Nope, I'm not ready to take you to the mall. And I walked past her. She went, oh. And of course, she bugged me several times after that. But eventually, she stopped asking. Alternatives to the word no are really effective. In fact, I'm going to feature some more episodes around this alternatives to saying no. For the benefit of this episode, the two that I use frequently is I'm not willing and I'm not ready. Now, I really liked I'm not willing because your child can't change your will. Your will belongs to you. So when my child would say, I want you to buy me that, and I'd say, I'm not willing to buy it. Well, why not? I Because I'm not sure. I'm just not willing to do it. 
because no one can change your will. So that's something really important that you want to keep in mind. The fourth tip we shared was coming up with consequences with your child and then, as Lisa stated, giving your child the power of choosing the misbehavior over the consequence. Now, consequences is a very big topic and can really be challenging. So stay tuned for more episodes on this one and even a new online course I'm in the process of developing. Hope to be able to launch it soon. The fifth tip was speaking calmly and at your child's eye level. Doing this one very important thing ties back to demonstrating respect for your child. The more you do it, the more they see it, the more likely they will imitate it. Plus, speaking at your child's eye level sends a very respectful message to them. They feel respected, and they're more likely to cooperate. Finally, the last tip was in the story I offered regarding my ADHD-intense granddaughter, Aurora, who I love dearly. And our trip that day to the Indoor Butterfly Conservatory located in Deerfield, Massachusetts. That day was such a memorable experience for me because I really got to see the inner workings of my granddaughter's mind. And just to kind of restate what happened that day is I knew that she would be off in a bunch of different directions all at once. And in that conservatory, you're not allowed to just go wherever you want. They have plant life and livestock in that place. When we went into the area where I bought our tickets, as I said in the story, uh, there's a big poster on the wall with all the rules of being there. And one of them, of course, the most important one for me at the moment, was that you must remain on the walk. So we went over the list. She read them off. And I said, are you okay with all these rules? And she goes, I think so. And I said, what about number eight? Can you tell me that one more time? And she restated the rule and said, you must remain on the walk. And I said, what does that look like? And of course, she said, my feet will stay on the walk. So that's when I came up with the consequence for the that infraction, if it were to occur. So we went in there, and we were in there for about 45 minutes. And as I told you in the start, it was just so amazing. I saw her stop, and she looked at this beautiful, huge butterfly on top of a plant. But as I said, it was just out of her reach. She's looking at the butterfly. She's looking at the ground. She notices that the tips of her shoes are on the very edge of the walk. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, she's going to do it. She's going to step off the walk. Please don't do that. I don't want to go home because I knew that was the consequence we had set up. That's when she looked at me and her whole facial expression changed into this fake sadness. And she said, Grandpa, I'm so sad. And I said, why, honey? We have to go home. And I said, why do we have to go home? She says, because I'm going to step off the walk. And that's where she stepped off. It was just such an amazing moment that I've been able to tell that story over and over to parents, especially kids who have ADHD, or I should say suffer from ADHD, and they can't contain themselves. All right, finally, if you have questions that I can answer for you, I hope you'll consider joining my Raising an Independent Child Facebook page. You'll find a link for it down in the show notes of this episode. Now, I'd love to hear from you and help you implement some of these ideas. Some of them are a little complex and require a coach to help you with them, and I'd like to be that person. But let me caution you, don't try to implement everything you learn in this podcast. It could overwhelm you. Pick just one or two tips at a time and do them over and over. And I'm telling you, over and over. Get good at them, you know, practice them. Then 
replay the episodes at a later time to learn more and pick up other tips that you heard along the way. If you need more clarification or help with implementing my tips, contact me on my Facebook page and I'll be happy to help you implement them and make them work. Thanks again for listening and please consider subscribing. All information in this podcast is the property of Bill Corbett and Cooperative Kids Publishing. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.